Welcome to Philosophy on the Fringes, a podcast that explores the philosophical dimensions of the strange and the mundane. We're your hosts, Megan Fritz and Frank Cabrera. On today's episode, we're talking about Bigfoot, the creature and the legend, and how we should think about eyewitness testimony. Today's episode, we're talking about Bigfoot, Sasquatch, that uh, hairy guy in the forest. I personally am elated to be doing this episode. Uh, Unlike our last episode, which I did not want to do, this episode is one I've been looking forward to for literally weeks since we started planning the podcast. We have a lot of talks about Bigfoot. I am a huge fan of Bigfoot. In fact, our car, the front of our car, is actually adorned with a decorative Bigfoot license plate. So I think we're, we're both fans of Bigfoot. I think as you will see as the episode progresses, Megan is a bigger fan of Bigfoot than I am. But I will note that I was the one that got the license plate for Christmas, not not Megan. So. That's true. That's true. Um, so I'll say uh, I I am a I, I don't want to say I'm a believer in Bigfoot, um, but I'm a hopeful. Uh, I'm I'm hopeful, um, and I'm not only hopeful. I think I I find Bigfoot plausible more plausible than i think you do frank yes just putting our cards on the table i'm i also want to believe in bigfoot i am pro bigfoot i got the license plate but i guess i will say i'm a little more skeptical than megan so we'll we'll see if megan can convince me to change my mind a little bit he's more of a scully and i'm more of a molder in this uh in 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 terms of bigfoot belief uh all right so um frank who, who is Bigfoot? Um, you can tell us a little bit about the man of the hour. Yeah, so there's a lot to say, so I'm going to try not to say too much. But uh, just pointing this out here, Bigfoot it seems like a proper noun. Like It seems like big, sounds like Bigfoot is one guy. But actually, Bigfoot is a, supposed to be a species. right? So there's many different kinds of Bigfoot, many different in, uh, uh, Bigfoots, right? So, so Big feet. Big, yeah. So presumably, according to the believers, Bigfoot is some scientifically unrecognized hominid. So some kind of thing that's halfway between, you know, in, uh, a, a gorilla or chimpanzee and, and, a, and a human. So Bigfoot walks upright. He's super duper hairy. He's supposed to be really tall. And yeah, there's a, a lot of alleged sightings of Bigfoot in the United States. Uh, Pacific Northwest, supposed to be a lot of uh, Bigfoots up there. Ohio River Valley, our neck of the woods too. So wasn't there a recent sighting of Bigfoot in Mississippi, Megan? There sure was. This was a huge moment for me a few weeks ago. Uh, some newly released, I guess the footage isn't new. The footage is a couple years old, um, but it was just released. Some guy two and a half hours from us in Mississippi uh, was boar hunting, I believe, and just happened to have a chance encounter with our guy. Yeah, so there, he's seen a lot in the United States. Uh, you can look at maps yourselves. It's, he's clustered in various areas, but there's supposed to be a lot of sightings. And uh, worth noting, a lot of people know this already, uh, is that there's supposed to be a Bigfoot type creature in Asia called the Yeti, also a Bigfoot type creature in Australia called the Yowie. Bigfoot believers will sometimes say there's an Eastern Bigfoot and a Western Bigfoot. So maybe the Bigfoot on the on the in, in California is different than the Bigfoot on, on the East Coast. So yeah, the this is this is who Bigfoot's supposed to be. Um, he is a 
some kind of hominid. He, so he's supposed to be related to human beings. He's in he's in the same kind of taxonomic group as the gorillas, the chimpanzees, and 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 us and the orangutans. He's supposed to be some kind of scientifically unrecognized species. Yeah. So I guess in 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 terms of culturally, who Bigfoot is, he's he's usually classed along with uh, other sorts of um, proposed creatures that that are normally called cryptids uh uh, the subjects of uh study in the field of the very legitimate field of cryptozoology uh other kinds of cryptids include one of my favorites the mothman from west virginia um the loch ness monster from scotland uh the, the the chupacabra which i guess is from the american southwest and other sorts of creatures like that. Now, obviously, cryptids run the gamut in terms of how plausible each one of them are, right? So uh, the Mothman, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Mothman, he's supposed to be this extremely large cross between um, a human and um, some kind of winged insect type thing, uh, but but human size. Um, but the thing is about Mothman is that he... he in theory, has these kind of supernatural abilities. Uh, so what he's known for is, is supposedly predicting the uh, a major disaster in West Virginia in the 1980s, which was the collapse of some bridge. I forgot the name of it. Um, and uh, but but then you have uh, creatures like Bigfoot or Sasquatch um, or the Loch Ness monster, which are purely animals or creatures they're uh they're, they're not supposed to be uh supernatural or or strange in any way except that of course it would be strange if like a plesiosaur were still alive in scotland yeah it's a really small lake i don't know how the dinosaur yeah. could live in that <laughs> yeah so for me i'm putting bigfoot at like the far end of the scale in terms of how plausible it is that they're actually there i think Bigfoot's got like the best case going for him. Yeah, I guess we can elaborate on that a, a little bit. So philosophers uh, and philosophers of science talk a lot about simplicity, parsimony. So when the Bigfoot advocates posit Bigfoot to explain the the Bigfoot sightings, of which there's thousands, you know, in in the United States, uh, they are you know introducing a new entity, right? So you if if you're the skeptic, you might say, well, this is not a very parsimonious explanation. They're positing this wholly new entity, this scientifically unrecognized entity, to explain uh, these these phenomena, when you can really maybe explain these phenomena in other ways. But it's it's worth noting that Bigfoot is not a different, not really a fundamentally different kind of entity. So Mothman is something supernatural, maybe something alien, really like a, a totally different kind of creature that we haven't seen before. But advocates of Bigfoot will say, hey, you know, we're not advocating something like totally totally uh, new, we're saying that there's just this hominid species that is just hanging out in North America. It's it's a new entity, but it's not like a radically new kind of entity. So philosophers like to distinguish between quantitative parsimony, that is positing few entities, and qualitative parsimony, that is positing uh, new kinds of things. So of course, Bigfoot is a new species, uh, but he's not like a fundamentally new sort of entity. So maybe it's not a radically unparsimonious right so talking about parsimony we want uh theories to explain things uh as simply as possible while still explaining things so something that we need to be able to explain 
uh, at least for me, the main thing that I want to explain by whatever theory of Bigfoot we end up coming down on uh, is the, the people who see Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. The people who see Bigfoot, and, and we can, you know, meet these fine folks in many different documentaries. Yeah, we've watched a lot of Bigfoot documentaries. Basically, if you've made a Bigfoot documentary, <laughs> we have either seen it or we would love to see it. So please let us know. I, I need to mention this one Bigfoot documentary that I think it was on Hulu. It seemed like it, it was going to be a Bigfoot. I forget the name, but it was. It looked like it was going to be about Bigfoot. But really, it ended up being about like what was like a drug cartel that was growing marijuana in the in the woods in California or something. And they what they they used the Bigfoot uh, thing to scare people off. It kind of like kind of scare people weird... away from their their um their marijuana plants, and also as a way of explaining why people, people were, being... were being murdered. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that was a weird documentary. It was really good though. I recommend it. So. We've got a lot of people sharing their stories about meeting Bigfoot, encountering Bigfoot. Meeting Bigfoot makes it sound like you had a business meeting with him or something. But encountering Bigfoot. And not all of them, but many of them seem extremely sincere, like really just normal people who are just, you know, going about their business outside, watering their cows, giving their cows water. What I guess cows probably just drink from a lake. I, they're, you know, they're doing household chores or whatever, just going about their day, not expecting to see Bigfoot. Uh, and then they do. And they go and share their story with the world. And often there are actually bad consequences for them for doing this. Maybe they lose their job or they lose a lot of credibility in whatever line of work they're in. Um, but they they share their story and it doesn't seem like they have much to gain from it. They don't seem like they're just trying to get their their 15 minutes of fame on television. And there's tons and tons of stories like this. So whatever theory we have of Bigfoot, I, I feel like it does need to explain this. Yeah, so I guess the cynic comes in and says, look, this, the skeptic says, I can't explain all these stories. These people are lying. They just want their 15 minutes of fame. You know, people like to be listened to. They just want someone to pay attention to them. Or maybe these people are just stupid, right? The, the, that's what the cynic <laughs> might say, right? I like the idea of the cynical person just being like, you know, this guy thinks he saw Bigfoot, but actually he's just stupid. <laughs> so I don't actually think that. I, I, I think I think the I don't think these people are, uh, you know, I think they believe they saw Bigfoot. I don't think they're lying or anything like that. At least not most of the time. So yeah, this the, is the salt of the earth. Yeah, the the the, the skeptic. Uh, they're, they're, what they're gonna say, the retort is always gonna be right. There is no evidence for Bigfoot. Um, so wh why isn't there any evidence for Bigfoot? Well, um, you know, there there have been uh, famous photos or videos of Bigfoot. I think perhaps the most famous one was this uh, this one minute video in 1967, I think. Yeah, by uh, Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin. So in, this was in Northern California. They, 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 they took a one minute video of Bigfoot. There's this famous still from the video of the Bigfoot. It's a female Bigfoot. It's really, really tall. It's mid-gait, and it's kind of staring at the camera, uh, half half staring at the camera. And that's so people have analyzed this this film and this photo um, of Bigfoot to death. Uh, like some people think that the um, that the 
that the Bigfoot is obviously just a person in a suit. Some people think, no, 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 look at the pelt, it's so realistic, uh, you know, you can't, you can't fake that, look at the muscles on there, look at the gait, it's not a human gait. And yeah, it's, it's true, skeptics have tried to recreate this, this, big, this, uh, this Bigfoot um, film with, by making their own Bigfoot suits, and they haven't exactly been successful. I've, I've looked at some, some uh, alleged recrea- uh, some recreations of this, and they don't look as good as this photo. It is true, this photo looks pretty good. Um, and so even Bigfoot skeptics will say, hey, look, this, this is not an obvious fake, this famous uh, still from this 1967 video. So things like that seem like really inconclusive. We should see some evidence of footprints or you know DNA or uh, or record or vocalizations that are recorded but we don't really see anything conclusive along those lines okay so skeptics are skeptical because there's a lack of evidence and I guess by evidence they mean like physical evidence like you know good pictures or something like that yeah like the, like like Bigfoot believers has have, have have said here here's some bigfoot dna and they sent this to the scientists and the scientists have sequenced this so they there's actually a journal article very recently do, uh, that did this and the dna they sent turned out to just be the dna of bears and actually it helped with bear research uh, but it wasn't bigfoot dna it wasn't the, the, DNA, the dna of some unknown species so in every case they've done this it was bear yeah and every case uh, sometimes it's like a, an elk or something but in most cases it was a bear and I thought we, we, we listened to a documentary where it was like an unknown yeah, mammal. Yeah, I looked that up and, you know, in, in, in at least the most recent journal article about this stuff, they sequenced the DNA. This was published in a reputable journal and it was not the DNA of any unknown species. Yeah, so they now said we it, know Bigfoot's related to bears. <laughs> well, that's what I think Bigfoot is, but yeah. So, okay. All right. So fine. So let's just say, all right, yeah, there maybe there is a lack of physical evidence um you know maybe not great pictures although i will say in terms of like how you know we don't have great pictures or great video or whatever it is sometimes very hard to get good pictures and a good video of an elusive thing um when i'm trying to get a video of my baby doing something cute every single time she will immediately stop doing that thing when i turn the camera on so that makes me feel a little bit for the people who encounter bigfoot and are not able to get a great video but anyway i digress uh, we have actually loads of evidence. It's mm-hmm. just not empirical evidence, or I mean, it is empirical evidence, um, but it's not maybe it's not something we can analyze in the lab. And that evidence is all of the really rad, nice, genuine people who have in fact seen Bigfoot. Yeah. So you want to say the testimony is evidence, right? That's that's the claim. It testimony at the in the amount that we have it. Yeah. I mean, I think any testimony is some evidence, but it seems like we should really consider strong evidence when we have this kind of testimony. Yeah, I guess so. This raises a number of issues in like the epistemology of testimony. So as as epistemologists have pointed out, we rely a lot on testimony for the things we believe. So it's very few people can be like Descartes and just start from first principles and and reason out from uh, on their own to all the beliefs they have. We should say right here for listeners who are unfamiliar with the philosopher Rene Descartes, uh, one of the things that he tries to do, he's this um, 16th century philosopher uh, from France, and one of the things he tried to do was prove uh, the existence of everything uh, from a single indubitable principle. Yeah, namely that he himself exists. I exist. Right? Right. That was, I think, therefore I am. And then I'm going to try to reason out everything else that I need to know. The external world exists, that you know, science is on good footing. And uh, Descartes uh, 
widely agreed that he failed. It's really hard to do and do this Cartesian project of, of only believing things that you yourself have verified. And the reason why that is is that there's so much out there to know. Knowledge is increasingly specialized, increasingly vast. Uh, you can, you, even experts in their own field like sometimes don't know what's going on in, in the, the subdiscipline next door. So, for instance, if you're really only string theorists can understand string theory, like physicists working in other subdisciplines of physics, they have no idea how to understand that. And that's just the way knowledge has progressed. In the, you know, the 18th century, you could be a natural philosopher and sort of more or less know everything there is to know. And back in the day, we saw a lot of polymaths, right? People doing everything. Like Leibniz did a lot of stuff. Um, you know, William Huell, 19th century uh, philo uh, uh, philosopher and historian of science, who coined the term scientist, by the way, he did a bunch of stuff. Right? He was a polymath, too. Now, you can't do, really do that anymore. So knowledge is so specialized. There's so much to know. We need to rely on testimony. Uh, epistemologists have pointed this out. So... Yeah, I guess someone might appeal to this fact. They're like, well, you know, we rely on testimony so much. Why should we not rely on testimony when it comes to Bigfoot? So important to note, though, right, we don't just believe any old testimony. Sometimes people lie. Right? Sometimes people are mistaken. Right? We care about their competence. We tend to uh, apply certain criteria when deciding to believe a testimony or not. One famous list of criteria for whether a testimony is reliable comes from our friend, the philosopher John Locke. So Locke is another guy Megan doesn't really like very much. But I think his reliability <laughs> conditions uh, for whether testimony should be believed are pretty sensible. So here he has six of them. So, so whether you ought to believe a testimony depends on the number of witnesses. So if it's some, you know, Extraordinary event, more witnesses is better. The integrity of the testifier, uh, you know, how good is their character? Uh, you know, that, that will tell you whether you, sh you should think they're lying or not. The skill or expertise, expertise of the testifier, uh, the reason why they are giving you their report, right? So do they have some special interest in the truth of the thing they're saying? So if, if it's something that, if, 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 if it's some proposition that would be good for them if it were true, that might make you, you know, doubt whether they're being sincere. Um, the internal consistency of what they're saying. So do they contradict themselves? Right? That, that is often taken into account in, in uh, courtrooms. If the, if the witness contradicts themselves, that looks bad for the, for the witness. And finally, whether there's any contrary uh, testimony, whether there's any testifiers that, 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 that say the opposite. Seems, these seem pretty sensible. Right? Locke's, Locke's going to say, to the extent that the testifier, the testimony, exhibits these criteria to a high degree, you ought to believe it. He says you can't know on the basis of testimony. That's an important thing about Locke. So you can't have knowledge on the basis of testimony. You can only have like probable opinion. So yeah, I guess we sh if we're going to... you know, uh, form beliefs on the basis of testimony, we need to get these testifiers in a room and we need to question them with respect to these criteria in order to see whether they're reliable or not. Well, some of the criteria are a little bit unfair to use to assess testimony Bigfoot encounters because like 99% of the time when you encounter Bigfoot, you're you are alone or almost alone in the woods. It's not like there's the possibility mm -hmm. for a lot of other witnesses to be around. Yeah, that's true. Because uh, that's where he lives. Yeah, I mean, th then, yeah, sure, then you can't apply the criteria, but then it seems like you can't have a, a testimonially based belief. 
if you can't apply the criteria, then you can't apply the criteria. They're, they're the right criteria. But that doesn't sound right because then testimony becomes uh, epistemically inert whenever we're talking about things deep in the woods. You know, some things just you can't have knowledge of. It maybe it, it, We can't know. We should at least be agnostic about Bigfoot. All right. So you think that all of the people who say that they encounter Bigfoot are probably lying or insincere or maybe insane no i, I don't want to say that so i i'm so, i don't want to be like the cynic who thinks they're just stupid but i so i mean there's a lot we can say here i think they believe they saw what they saw but as we know as we know perception is not like a, a camera right perception is not not the it, perception doesn't work the way that like, like lock and the empiricist thought it's not just a, a copy of reality when you perceive something it's not just a copy of the ex, of the external object what you believe can affect what you see literally affect what you see so cognitive scientists and philosophers call this cognitive penetration that your beliefs your cognitive stuff can like literally affect your perception so there's experiments to demonstrate this people if you tell people that you that they're going to see a flash of light um, they will report seeing a flash of light even if even if there wasn't one, or if you tell them they'll, they'll feel a shock, they'll report feeling a shock even if there wasn't one. Color constancy, that's another sort of thing. We all seen these optical illusions. There was that famous uh, dispute between people about whether the dress was blue and black or white and, was it white and gold? Or is that the other one? I, yeah, I, saw, I, blue, I saw blue and black. Yeah, I was never confused by that either. It's so obviously <laughs> blue and black. Yeah, so, I, so presumably people's beliefs about what color the thing ought to be is going to affect what they see. And that's how the, a lot of those optical illusions work. You put some object under uh, red lights or green light, it's going to change how you see it, even though the objective color isn't isn't hasn't changed and you know you, you you can look up those optical illusions yourself so perception is not all it's cracked up to be and neither is memory right we know that memory is not like a tape recorder memory is recon is constructive it's reconstructive uh, there are false memories we were we wrote a paper megan about people seeing patterns that aren't there our paper online uh, what, is, what is it called? Uh, online misinformation and phantom patterns. So we talk about this idea that human beings are evolved to recognize patterns. And sometimes this pattern recognition instinct goes awry. People see patterns that aren't there. Sometimes it's called pareidolia. When people see like, a, like the man in the moon or a face on Mars or the Virgin Mary on a piece of toast, right? That's pareidolia, seeing patterns, looking for meaning in ambiguous stimuli. So some of this stuff might factor into the Bigfoot, uh, the Bigfoot reports as well. Surely it does. If you're steeped in Bigfoot lore, you're a true Bigfoot believer, and you go out into the Pacific Northwest and you see a large furry animal in the distance, you might think it's Bigfoot rather than a bear, right? But I, I'm probably going to see a bear, right? Yeah, so, all right. I mean, but two things about this. One, that we have no reason to think that most, all or or even most, or even many of the people who have Bigfoot sightings are, quote unquote, steeped in the Bigfoot lore. You know, some of these are just average folks just trying to get by. But further, I have uh, an anecdote that uh, that is immune to this cognitive penetration objection. So the noted primatologist Jane Goodall two years ago gave an interview for GQ magazine where she talks about her work with um, with with primates in various places. And one of the things she talks about in the interview is um, when she spent some time in Ecuador 
Uh, and she talks about being flown out to this really, really remote part of Ecuador. She said they flew over uh, uninhabited land for like two hours. And they got to this uh, spot in Ecuador and she's talking to, uh, using a translator, she's talking to one of the people in the village and she asked them for some reason, I would be interested to know what sparked this question actually, but for some reason she asked uh, the um, the person from the village she was talking to, do you ever see any uh, monkeys around here uh, when you're out in the wilderness, forest, jungle? I think it was a jungle. Yeah. Uh, and the person she was talking to said, oh, yeah, we have monkeys. They're about six feet tall and they walk upright. I think she, I think she asked them, do you ever see any monkeys without tails? That's right, without right, tails. Right, because Bigfoot's supposed that to be it. like an ape. He's supposed to be like a great ape or something like that, right? Some kind of hominid. So, yeah, they asked. she asked them if they saw any monkeys without tails. Monkeys without tails. And this is significant, right, because there are no – there aren't supposed to be any uh, any – apes all right humans are 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 apes but any non-human uh uh, apes in north america or south america so there are monkeys in south america continent yeah there there, there are monkeys in south america there used to be monkeys in north america so those died out you know millions of years ago Uh, but they're they're not supposed to be any apes here um so what i said what do i make of this i i don't know right i guess i would i would want to interview them uh more so then here's another here's another point right so when we when we think about testimony, we don't just use those those criteria of reliability that Locke has. I think I think he's missing some stuff. I think we should also care about the extent to which the testimony coheres with our background knowledge. Right? What else we know about the world? What our best scientific theories say? And you know, our best scientific theories say that that um, there were no there were no hominids in uh, in North America uh, uh, until humans arrived, right? And uh, yeah, so what about that sort of thing? Like what? Um, and you can you can go back to you can go back to also the lack of evidence, right? I th- I feel like this is part of our background knowledge too. There's a lack of of hard physical evidence. Like where is the DNA? Where is the Bigfoot poop? Uh, why aren't there more con- more footprints? More convincing footprints? Or why aren't there more photographs? Right? We live in a world of smartphones, right? People are filming everything, right? This is there's a marked lab. Uh, marked absence of other hard physical evidence that the Bigfoot hypothesis needs to explain, right? So, okay, the Bigfoot hypothesis explains the testimony of of the of the, the 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 people in Ecuador, right? Those those people that Jane Goodall talked to. But there's a lot of other stuff it needs to explain, right? It needs to explain this absence of of hard physical evidence. Uh, this that's part of our other our background knowledge. So presumably, then, since this is so hard to override uh, via someone's experience, if you see Bigfoot on your threshold, you open the door to take your trash out in the morning, oh my God, it's Bigfoot. What you're just, you're going to say, well, let me check my background knowledge. Well, I would, I mean, you know, I, I wouldn't think explicitly about that sort of stuff. I'd probably just like react. What would I, yeah. So what you're asking me, like, what would I think if I had some of the experience, the alleged experiences of some of the people that we've seen in the documentaries some, in, in these interviews? So, yeah. Would you be a believer then? Yeah, I don't really know. I guess I guess a lot depends on the experience. A lot depends on the percept. Might I think it, if it was really dark and the, the perceptual conditions were suboptimal, might I think it's a bear? Yeah, maybe. Might I think it's a someone who is in a Bigfoot costume trying to scare me? Maybe. I don't really know. It, it really depends a lot on the, on the the character of the experience. It's hard to really say in the abstract. All right, so maybe you would believe if you encountered Bigfoot yourself. But here's a question for you. Since we have all this background information that seems to tell against Bigfoot existing, 
Um, why is your experience special? Why shouldn't you just think, uh, gosh, I must not have woken up yet. Must still be dreaming. Maybe I'm hallucinating. Um, maybe those mushrooms in my salad were the wrong kind. Because, you know, the modern philosopher, David Hume, uh, thought that things that were on the level of miracles, we were in fact never justified in believing, even if we take ourselves to have experienced one, or or even if it seems to us like we've experienced one. Yeah, yeah I don't think Hume really applies here, though, because I, I don't think like the existence of Bigfoot's like miraculous. Like like I said, I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's a perfectly natural entity. It's perfectly possible that there's some... Uh, a uh, relative of Homo sapiens hanging out in North America. That may- maybe it's something like that. I it's, so it's not. I don't think it's miraculous. No, no, Bigfoot's not miraculous. But maybe it's more plausible that you would be hallucinating in any given instance of seeming to have a, a Bigfoot encounter than it is that Bigfoot exists. How can we compare these plausibilities? Yeah, I, gu- I guess a lot depends on what the you know what the prior probability of Bigfoot existing is right i'm not i'm not sure right and 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 also it depends a lot on what the experience is like right i I have to sort of compare you know these two these two things like which one's more probable and it's hard to say right now because i haven't had a bigfoot experience bigfoot hasn't visited me yet unfortunately even though i have the license plate of his i really hope jane goodall takes on this project next yeah, I was surprised to see that she was so pro, and she's been consistently pro Bigfoot. So she gave an interview like 15 years ago with NPR, and she was pro Bigfoot then. And this this last what, this interview you found was from like 2021, I think. Mm-hmm. So she's been consistently like pro Bigfoot. So what she says, let's be clear, right? She's not like a believer. She just says, I I don't think the people that that say they saw Bigfoot are stupid, and I'm not going to rule it out. I've been consistently a Jane Goodall fan, and I'm I'm even more so now after reading her interviews today. So, all right, what if maybe all right? Let's consider this situation. You didn't see Bigfoot yourself, but the person that you love and trust and know the best in the entire world, namely me, did see Bigfoot. Oh, this is like that. What if I my girlfriend was a worm thing? <laughs> no, you can't. You can't ask me this, Megan. Uh, no, I'm asking uh, you. I saw Bigfoot outside the front door. I freak out. I run to tell you. Of course, by the time I drag you out there to see him, uh, he he's gone. But yeah. I'm like, he was standing right here. No mistaking it. Yeah, I guess I, I guess it would depend on were the perceptual conditions suboptimal. Did you just watch a Bigfoot documentary? Do, are we in bear country? Are there are there tricksters afoot? Right? Is there a Bigfoot convention in town? Like I need to know all this stuff. That would factor into whether I believed you. All right. So if perceptual conditions are good. If I'm you know not on a on a Bigfoot kick at the moment, um, then I tell you I saw Bigfoot standing outside the front door. Probably. You're going to believe it? Well, I think, so it's possible I might believe you depending on, on a lot of other factors, right? But I, I guess I could say that I would probably believe it more if I saw it than if you saw it. I, I, I'm not like hardcore empiricist or anything like that, but I guess I, tr- I guess I trust my own perception more than I do the perception of some kind of testifier. So some people have a view of testimony where like testimony is just sort of like a knowledge transfer, right? They have the knowledge in a bucket and they just 
dump the bucket into my, the, dump the water from their bucket into my bucket, and now I have the knowledge too. So I don't really think of, of, of testimony like that. I don't think I, you can just transfer your experience to me, right? If I get some personal experience of Bigfoot, I have something that you that you don't have. I can't I can't communicate that to to you. I can't communicate all aspects of my experience. So I guess if I had the personal experience of Bigfoot, I would probably be more likely to believe it than I would be to believe it if you had the personal experience and told me. So I don't think I can transfer my experience to you. Um, I'm not that good of a storyteller, unfortunately. But I, I guess I don't know why I should think that has any special epistemic value. Like, why does the experience, what kind of justifying work does the phenomenology have yeah so i don't so like i said i'm not like a hardcore empiricist or anything like that so i i but i think so i i don't think it has any like special value in and of itself um because certainly like i can i can know things i can know something based on experience and i can also know it based on testimony so i might i might know the that some uh some something is a theorem in mathematics based on the testimony of my math professor or I can just do the proof myself. So I don't think that, but I do think that if I have the perception myself, I uh, I get access to something that that I don't have if if you give me the testimony of your experience. So I can if if I have the experience myself, I can better consider whether some debunking explanation of my experience is warranted. I can better consider uh, the, the whether you know the experience that I had is best explained by it being a bear, or whether it's best explained by some guy in a suit, or or something like that. Right? I can I can sort of think back. Although memories in memories fallible, of course, but I can think back to what I actually saw and consider whether these kinds of alternative explanations are more plausible. I can't really do that if you give me the testimony. I can't really examine your percept. You can't. You can only be so vivid with respect to what you saw. And so I, I, I have a, I'm in a less better epistemic position to examine and analyze and evaluate these alternative explanations in your case than in mine. So if I saw Bigfoot. And and I ruled out all those alternative explanations. I think I would be in it'd be more warranted for me to believe in Bigfoot than if you just gave me the testimony. I guess I understand that. Um, I'm not sure I agree. I I guess I maybe I just doubt my own experiences so much mm-hmm. um, that I uh, uh, maybe I doubt my experiences just as much as I doubt other people. So I kind of see them as being on a par. But maybe that says more about me than. Yeah, I feel like it's weird for you to be so. Uh, to, be, to believe these testimonies so much, you're always doubting people's testimony all the time. Like whenever I tell you that you know that uh, that we got that we have enough eggs in the fridge, you always doubt my testimony. But when it comes to the Bigfoot people, you you believe whatever they say. <laughs> well, no one's buying eggs anymore, so those <laughs> yeah. days are done. Okay, so do you think that this um this idea that you have on testimony versus experience? Does this hold true for everything or is it or is or is it only for weird stuff? Yeah, I think maybe it's a good principle to adopt for yeah, weird things like UFOs and and uh you know, like chupacabra, ESP, ghosts, right? Some of the other stuff that we might we may have Anything that may be featured on the History Channel yeah, past sp- 10 p.m. Spooky things, right? Philosophers like to use this term, right? They, when when people defend uh, views like physicalism that the only thing that exists, the only the only stuff in the world is physical stuff, they'll say what I mean is just there's no spooky things, right? There's no like ghosts and stuff. 
Yeah, philosophers like to use this term, um, even though it is a terrible term. Yeah. Uh, spooky things. Um, because, of course, when we're talking about spooky things, weird things, there's no other way to cash it out, right? This is just a naturalistic bias. Uh, I don't know. No, I don't think so. Because remember we said Bigfoot is just supposed to be another hominid. He's a natural thing, right? I'm not, it's not, a, Big, Bigfoot's weird, even though he's a natural entity. So it's just stuff that is not what we would expect? No, I don't want to say it's just like stuff that we don't expect because you know, there's lots of stuff that we don't expect that's not weird, right? I don't, I don't expect to win the lottery, but that's, and if I do, I, I, my winning's not weird. It's like, I don't know. It's, uh, you know, you know when you see it, like weird stuff, right? It's, uh, <laughs> we, we, all need, we all need intuitive concepts. We need at one of some, those button machines one, that makes the booing sound. You need, you need, everyone needs intuitive concepts. You know, you got to keep, everyone has to have a, some concepts that are primitive. It's weird things. You know, UFO, you know what I mean. UFO, intuitive concepts are often ESP. Uh, not so subtle covers for just preserving the status quo. But moving on, that's fine. Let's, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that one. All right, Megan. I have a question for you since you've been asking most of the questions here. Mm-hmm. All right, I've been on I've been on the hot seat. Yeah. This is this is Bigfoot skeptic uh, unfriendly territory. Bigfoot hour with Megan. Fritz. Yeah. Right. So yeah, do you think do you think it's rational at least for some people to believe in Bigfoot? Yes. How many? How many people? Yeah. Like who who should believe in Bigfoot? Four hundred and twelve. Do you think okay, do, do you think it's rational for you to believe in Bigfoot? Um, no, not full-fledged belief. All right, so here, here's here's a, a question, right? If if you think it's rational to believe in Bigfoot, shouldn't like Bigfoot uh, be in like the science textbooks, right? If it, you you can you can get uh, you know sufficient evidence for the existence of something on the basis of testimony. You don't need this hard evidence. Testimony is good enough, right? We think it's good enough in a lot of other contexts. Why isn't it good enough here? You say. So if you think it's rational for Bigfoot to believe in Bigfoot, why don't you put them in the zoology textbooks, right? There's a new species, Bigfoot. Yeah, okay. So if it's rational for some, maybe a lot of people to believe in Bigfoot, and for the record, I don't just think it's rational for people who have experienced Bigfoot to believe in Bigfoot. Maybe people who have done more evidence gathering than I have, probably rational for them. I think I'm really close to having it be rational to believe in Bigfoot. I'm looking forward to that day. I'm going to celebrate. Um... Right. Uh, so your question is, why shouldn't we put him in zoology textbooks? Yeah, if it's rational, like you know, for a lot of people to believe in him, like maybe the zoology textbooks should t- at least mention him. The zoology textbooks. The primatology textbooks should talk a little the, bit more about Bigfoot. Oh well, I'm assuming that uh, Dr. Goodall's primatology textbooks have large sections devoted to Bigfoot, the coolest primate. Yeah, I don't know. About uh, that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really that worried about that because textbooks can't contain every animal. Um, there's a lot of them. And no, we might have a good reason for leaving Bigfoot out while other ones are in, which is just that we don't really have any information on him. We can't really put that much in there. No, 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 no you're wrong, right? The Bigfoot, Bigfoot believers, they have uh, lots and lots of chapters about Bigfoot behavior. He, you know, he likes to eat uh, watermelons and candy bars, and he likes to... Uh, you know, uh, he likes to swim and climb trees, right? Yeah, well, if you find me a zoology textbook where they talk about the kinds of candy that the other animals in the book <laughs> like, then I fully agree Bigfoot should have a should have a role in that book. Well, my favorite uh, alleged behavior of Bigfoot is that he can paralyze his prey with his voice. I've never heard that. No, it, yeah, it's true. Yeah, look it up. It's true. <laughs> Do your own research. <laughs> <laughs> it's true that people say it. <laughs> 
So I guess. What have we learned here? I mean. What have we learned? What have we learned? Well, we've learned a lot about ourselves, uh, I think, uh, and how much we want to believe in Bigfoot. Um, I must say my mind has not changed. Really? No. Has it Okay, so, so I, I guess the most interesting things I've learned thus far uh, that, you know, I guess the Jane Goodall anecdote is is interesting, right? That's it's fascinating. That's a puzzle. That's a puzzling one. And I, I do will want say. to add. I think that something that we need to consider uh, in this discussion is that we often don't have an idea of just how much uninhabited land exists on this continent. It's so much. Yeah, that's true. But that also makes me think about this this other curious fact um, that uh, throughout history. People have often told stories about a kind of like wild half man on the edges of society. So you might think the fact that there's a Bigfoot, uh, in, there's like a Bigfoot idea in Asia and in Australia and all these other sorts of stories about weird creatures on the edges of society. Like um, you know, people talk about Cyclopses in the ancient world. Pliny the Elder, my favorite guy, Pliny the Elder. The uh, your favorite guy? Yeah, I, lo- I love I love Pliny. Good old Pliny. So he's, who's Pliny? First century Roman uh, admiral and natural historian. He wrote the famous Natural History, which is a kind of encyclopedia of like all there was to know in the first century A.D. Pliny the Elder died trying to rescue people from the explosion of Mount Vesuvius and and. Uh, um, Anyway, so he wrote the natural history, and in his natural history, there's there's a lot of uh, curious anecdotes, and he talks about dog-headed people, or people with no neck, or pe- or people with, uh, you know, uh, umbrella feet, umbrella feet, right, and other weird sorts of characters on the edges of society, things between man and beast. So maybe there's just something in you know the the, the human mind that makes it have to posit these sorts of things that are in between the animal kingdom and and us that like connect us to it the missing link right uh, maybe that's what explains all the of missing this. link between humans and umbrellas <laughs> <laughs> yeah, plenty's awesome yeah i could have also just been people with you know really big feet or people with you know very small or no neck i i have to say i've seen men at the gym with no necks so that one <laughs> yeah, doesn't but, seem okay, weird to me seen, at all you haven't seen dog-headed that's yeah that's true um all right well you're unconvinced. I'm still pretty convinced. I think you're a little more convinced than you were before we started. Yeah, I don't know. All right. Well, I'm just saying if I see Bigfoot and I tell you, you better believe me. Yes, dear. We're out of time for this episode, but join us next time when we discuss the existential insights of the 1989 sleeper cinematic experience Roadhouse starring the late, great Patrick Swayze. Patrick Swayze. Patrick Swayze.